following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs 6, 12-14 and 14-32. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Sacred City Church. How are we doing? Good. Good. Well, I am excited to be here. If there are any guests in the room, I want to welcome you and tell you that my name is Alex Arguello. I'm one of the pastors of Sacred City Church um, but I am not the primary preaching pastor here at Sacred City Moline. That would be Pastor Sam Schmidt, but he gets a break today. Because I don't know if you guys knew this, but him and his wife Becca actually ran the Bix yesterday. Did you guys know that? Let's give them a round of applause really quick for running the Bix. So my wife and I, we live off of Jersey Ridge Road over in Davenport. So yesterday we decided to just walk down towards where the Bix was being ran. And we came to Kirkwood Boulevard and Jersey Ridge. And we wanted to kind of see if there was anybody that we knew that were running, and I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it's pretty difficult to do. You're looking at thousands of people, like, where are these people at? Well, most of the people outside of the, the elite runners that are really trying hard are pretty, they're, they're happy, right? They're, they're kind of smiling, they, they'll give you five when they run by, they're, um, they're just enjoying what they're doing. So we were looking at a bunch of people that were doing that, but then we seen Pastor Sam. And that wasn't necessarily the case. He looked like he was hurting. So me actually being his chiropractor, I was concerned about that. So I went up to him and asked him, I was like, man, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? And he said, yeah, I'm okay, but can you preach for me tomorrow? That's how we got here. That's not, that's not true. But I knew I was coming here today far before yesterday. But what is true is he was hurting. He wasn't doing very well on the run. But then we seen Becca, and she looked perfectly fine. She looked like she was doing great. So we know who's fitter, basically, is what we're saying. Today, we are continuing a series that we've been working through for the past few months on wisdom. We've been looking at the book of Proverbs, which is one of the literature, wisdom literature books in the Bible. And we wanted to look at Proverbs to see what it tells us about wisdom, what we started with was answering a few questions. What is wisdom? How do we get it? How do we live it out? But then we moved to looking at some character profiles, looking at some specific types of people that Proverbs mentions. This is a literary technique that the authors of Proverbs use, characterization. These characters are meant to be like a mirror for us. We look at them and see if any of what's being described is on our face. If so, that should be convicting for us and lead us to repentance. Well, The next character profile that we get to look at today is the wicked person. It's going to be pretty simple how we're going to look at that, but I can't promise that it's not going to be heavy. How we're going to do this is we're going to look at how the Bible defines a wicked person. Tell us what a wicked person is like, and then how the Bible, the God of the Bible, treats the wicked person, and then finally how the Christ of the Bible can save the wicked person. That's where we're going. So please, would you pray with me, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you uh, for today. We thank you um, that we get to come in here on a Sunday morning and worship with family together. 
Um, we want to do that because we are created as worshipers, and we want to worship the right thing, which is you, Father God. That's where our worship should go. And we thank you for already being able to do that in the songs. We thank you for being able to hear your word read, Lord, and now we want to hear your word preached. So would you be with us as we try to do that? May you take these truths of your scripture and apply them to our hearts so that we can change, Lord, and we can live for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so how does the Bible, specifically the book of Proverbs, define wickedness or a wicked person? Let's look at our first passage to begin this. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. It should be on the screen, but if you have a Bible or there should be Bibles there in the pews, please follow along with me. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. So first, the description. It says a worthless person or naughty person, meaning they are willfully disobedient. They know what they are doing when they choose to be wicked. Think about the little child at the daycare that continues to go against what the adults ask and tell them not to do, and instead of listening and refraining from that behavior, they move forward with that behavior, but not without first looking at the adult to make sure that they are being watched while they move forward with that wicked behavior. You've probably all witnessed something like this. Well, that would be a good description of a naughty person, of a wicked person, but it's even stronger here in our text. One of the commentators I read said a good translation for worthless person here would be a son of Belial. This is a term used frequently in the Old Testament to describe someone who loves evil, even worships evil. It is used only one time in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul used it to describe Satan, the personification of evil. So we have someone who loves evil, who is Satan-like, we might say, and now what do they do? It says that they go about with crooked speech. They habitually lie, gossip, slander, tear down, hurt others with their tongues. Anything that brings evil into this world or the relationships that they are in. They also use nonverbal tools. Winking of eyes, signals of feet, points with fingers. Each of these to entice others to the evil that they are doing, but they're done in a way that keep their intentions hidden so that this evil looks enticing. I don't know how popular this movie would be in this room, but one of my favorite movies of all times is The Wanderers. Anybody seen The Wanderers before? Not a single person. I don't know how helpful this will be, but... It's a movie that's staged in the 60s, and it's about these high school street gangs that are always having feuds with each other. Hearing that, you probably don't want to go watch it, but what happens in this movie is there's this one gang in this movie, and it's the the scariest gang there is. They're called the Ducky Boys. Doesn't sound too scary, but they're the scariest gang that there is. The reason that they're the scariest is because they're absolutely crazy, and all they are about is wanting to bring evil wanting to bring violence to whoever comes on their turf. They don't even talk throughout the entire movie. There's not a word that is said, but their body language 
is how you can tell that they are evil and how much they want to entice you to doing violence with them. I think this is a good visual for the wicked person that's described here in Proverbs. This person who is described here's whole mission in life is to bring evil. As it says there in verse 14, this is what's in their heart. And they never stop sowing discord or strife or conflict, hostility. That's the first part of the wicked person. So far, great guy, right? To continue this bleak description, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 says, who, meaning the wicked, are people who forsake the paths of of uprightness to walk in ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. They not only continually do evil, speaking it and acting on it, but they actually hate the opposite of evil, which would be uprightness or justice. It says they rejoice in the evil actions that they take, delighting in them, even though they know that they are wrong and don't meet God's standard. Let's go on to chapter 4, verse 19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So not only do they think and speak and do evil and enjoy every second of it, they also seem to be blind to any consequences that might come at them for their wickedness. Therefore, they have no reason to stop and to go down a different path. I can keep going. One more. I think we can get the picture. Chapter 11, verses 10 and 11. When it goes well... With the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. These people have an impact. Their wickedness isn't happening in a vacuum. It spreads and has an impact on their surroundings, on the community or society and can bring that society or a city, like it says here, to ruin. So there it is. That's how the book of Proverbs describes a wicked person. Now, one of the interesting things that I have seen throughout these past few weeks of us going through these different characters in Proverbs is because most of us tend to think too highly of ourselves, it's actually pretty difficult to see any of these types of foolishness in our own lives. But it's actually pretty easy to see these types of foolishness in other people's lives. It's easy to see how people are scoffers or sluggers or simpletons, isn't it? Well, I think that the wicked character, if we truly understand the depths of their wickedness, is probably the most difficult to see in our lives. It's probably even difficult for us to see this in others. I know I don't know anyone personally who outwardly meets this entire description. There may be people in the news we hear about that does something absolutely crazy to their children, or we may think about people that walk into schools or churches and start shooting and murdering people. Of course, ISIS and other groups like that come to mind. But we have to be careful with this. Remember, we are studying this so that we can grow in wisdom and I know we want to do that, but if, we, if these types of people that I just mentioned are the only people that we are thinking of, when we read the wicked person in Proverbs, 
I think we're going to miss what God wants for us in his word. What do I mean? Well, first let me say that we want to stay true to the book of Proverbs. Here, meaning we don't want to misread it and make it say something that it's not. When Solomon is discussing the wicked person and contrasting them to a righteous person, he's actually talking about real people. From his experiences in life and from his own reading of God's word, primarily the Torah, he's laying out what he knows about a wicked person and what he knows about a righteous person. This means that the righteous person he speaks of had to exist. I say this because that we are people, theologically, who see it as important to emphasize the holiness and perfection of God and his work in our salvation as well as emphasize the sinfulness of the human heart. So, since that's the case, we could very easily see wicked here in Proverbs and think us, and then read righteous and think who? Jesus. Now, that wouldn't be completely wrong here, but if that is the only way we see it, I think we would be misreading The text, Solomon wrote this before Jesus came to earth to show us what true righteousness was like. His father David also wrote about righteous people who lived before Jesus' earthly time. So as I, I said all of that to get to this point, Solomon is teaching his son wisdom with these characters that we've been going through. And with this particular character, he's highlighting the wicked person and teaching his son that part of wisdom is moral and ethical in nature. He said, don't be simple, have prudence. Don't be lazy, work hard. Don't be a scoffer, have courage. Don't be a fool, have temperance. Well, here he's saying, don't be wicked, be just, be righteous. Don't be like the wicked person, be like the righteous person. He's telling his son, if you want to be wise, if you want to enjoy this life, He should be like the one who is obeying God's law. That's great advice. Advice that we should all take. Now having said that, now I can actually get to what I mean about missing what I believe God wants us to see here, especially if we're finding difficulty in seeing the wickedness in ourselves. Although these are real people being described, one living wickedly and the other living righteously, What we have to do is understand, for humans being born after the fall of humanity, righteousness is not where we start, which would make wickedness some rare occurrence when we absolutely lose our minds occasionally. People who believe that say things like this. After sinning against someone, they say, oh, I didn't mean that. That's not who I really am. I don't know what got into me. Bad theology. Pro tip, we should not be saying that if we are Christians. Let's take it further. Righteousness is not where we start, but neutrality is also not where we start, where we have this 50-50 chance of being righteous or wicked. People who believe this are very good at judging other people who have not quite gotten their act fully together. They use phrases like this. People are idiots out there, aren't they? Also, bad theology. 
What's actually the case, and this has been said many times throughout this series, is wickedness is where we start. Just for way of reminder, let me show us that from Scripture again today. Because again, this, even though if we hear it frequently, if we are honest, it's still hard for us to accept. But let's let the Bible inform us instead of anything else. King Solomon, in another book that he authored, book of Ecclesiastes, says this, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. What we can take from this verse is there's not a person on earth who doesn't have wickedness in them. If we look all the way back to the beginning of our history, we see in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5, that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil, continually And lastly, if you are thinking that this wickedness that is in human beings was only in the Old Testament folk, probably the most well-known verse on the wickedness of the human being is shown in Romans chapter 3. This one we should have on the screen. In this chapter on Paul's letter, he's coming to the end of his argument for what is known theologically as human depravity. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Paul in this passage quotes from a few different psalms as well as Isaiah. He wants to show his readers that all humans are under sin, as he says. This phrase that Paul speaks of means that all humans are wicked at their core. That sin is their master. They are slaves to it. And this means that you can't really do anything other than have wicked thoughts and do wicked things. Other places in the Bible were called children of wrath. Others were called enemies of God. That's what it says. Now, some of us may need to do some work here. We may have to think and pray through this truth until God has taken this truth and penetrates our hearts with it. We as human beings are not righteous in any way. We as human beings are not neutral in any way. Left to ourselves, we hate God and love evil. Now, I'm sure there are some objections to this. Because this doesn't seem to be lining up with our experiences in life, I'm sure. So let me say this. What the Bible is teaching in this doesn't mean that human beings always have evil behavior. That clearly isn't the case. Some of you guys are extremely nice people. Some non-Christians that I know are some of the nicest and goodest people that I know, that I've ever met, even compared to Christians. But that fact doesn't disprove what the Bible says about the human heart. It doesn't show anything different about the human heart, actually. But rather, what that fact shows, and listen, because this is important, what it shows is that God, in his common grace, 
is very good at restraining the evil that would have manifested had he, left, had he lifted his restraints. We're nice people because of the grace of God. We're generous people because of the grace of God. We're provided and protected for in this life because of the grace of God. So something that we need to understand, we need to look at this world and when we see all the brokenness in it, all the evil things that happen, racism, sex trafficking, abortion, when we look at these things and even when we look at other people, especially non-believers, and we see sin in their life and evil destructive decisions that they make that hurt us and hurt others and make this world a scary place, we should absolutely hate those things and long for Christ to return and make everything right. But at the same time, we should look at it and then worship the living God because we know that he's keeping it from being what it could be, which is actually much worse. Tim Keller says, if God allowed us to actually experience or truly know how wicked we are, the thought of it would be so overwhelming that it would kill us instantly. So let that sit for a little bit. This means that we can't hear this description of the wicked person and dismiss it as a description of only the heathens of the world. We have to see it as a describing the human heart since the fall of humanity, and unless any of us in this room are non-humans, we are included in that wicked category. Wickedness is not just doing bad and evil things. Wickedness is a nature, and it's a nature that we all have. So when we look at God using Solomon here, his words here to compare and contrast the wicked person with the righteous person. Yes, we should look at the righteous, the wicked person and have a standard for, not, for what not to be like in this life. We should look at the righteous person and have a standard for what to be like in this life. But most importantly, reading it in the context of the whole message of the Bible, we should see it. If one is going to move from the wicked path to the righteous path, It is only by the grace of God that this happens. So can we admit this? Even though we might not look exactly like this wicked fellow that Proverbs describes, can we believe what the Bible teaches about wickedness and can we believe that this wickedness is in our hearts? This is true for the non-Christian, of course, but even if we have been united with Christ by faith, in the penalty of sin, in the power of sin has been dealt with, because the presence of sin is still here in this world and in our flesh, this type of foolishness comes out of us more than we would like to admit, I'm sure. My prayer is that we can admit this, because if we can, then we can move forward on the path of wisdom, because what is required for change, what is required to move forward and grow in wisdom is repentance. Turning from our wickedness never happens if we first can't admit that it's there. And if this is the case, then change doesn't happen either. And listen, if change, which happens as the Bible tells us, from one degree of glory to the next for the Christian, which means sometimes change is small and sometimes change is slower than we want, But if this change isn't happening for the one who professes Christianity, it means that we don't actually believe the gospel. 
I think a common occurrence for someone who, for some people who say they believe the gospel is one acknowledges wickedness in themselves, feels guilty about that wickedness that is in themselves, but then neglects the changing part, neglects the turning, which is what repentance means, turning from our sin, turning to Christ as our Savior and our Lord. If we haven't done this, if we're not doing this, please listen well to our next point because it's a warning for us. Our second point we want to look at this morning is how the God of the Bible treats the wicked person. Now that we understand what the Bible teaches about the wicked person, who they are and what they're like, how does he respond to those who never turn from that wickedness? For this will begin back in the first passage that we read, continuing in verse 14. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. The consequences for the wicked person is calamity. Calamity is a pretty new word for me. My eight-year-old son, Micah, actually taught it to me a few months ago when he was learning it about it in the second grade. Shows my vocab skills. But it's a word that speaks of destruction, disaster, great disaster, actually, and disaster that happens, as it says here, suddenly. If that wasn't bad enough for the wicked person, that sudden disaster comes upon, that comes upon them will break them. Break them severely to the point where it's beyond repair. No restoration possible. According to Proverbs, it does not go well for the wicked person. Why would this be the case? Why would God treat a wicked person like this? Well, we can look at many different Proverbs to get our answer. Chapter 6, verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 13. Chapter 15, verse 29. All of these, you can go and read them later. Tell us that God hates evil. He hates the way of evil people. But if we look outside the book of Proverbs and look at the book of Psalms, we see in Psalm 11, verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. God doesn't just hate evil. He doesn't hate evil people's thoughts and actions only. The Bible says he hates evil people. Some of us just got uncomfortable, including me. How could the Bible say this? I thought God was love. I thought God loves everyone. I thought love wins. Can you imagine in our day and age where everyone wants to be all about acceptance and love and peace? How do you think a truth like this goes over? Many can't accept it. They can't believe in a God like this, they would say. Many professing Christians can't believe in a God like this, so they just use whiteout on these types of texts or just make sure they never read them or think about them. Well, I think there are some very good reasons to why we do have a God like this, but even before we get there, it is important for the Christian to understand, even if we don't have good answers to questions like this, because the Bible clearly lays out this truth, we are required to believe it and accept it regardless if we like it or not. But let's think about it. 
the primary word that Proverbs uses to contrast wickedness or evil is righteousness or justice. Meaning they are opposites. They are antagonistic to each other. Those of us that have been through Story Form Way curriculum and MC, what does it say about God? He's the only one that is good, right, and perfect. He is righteousness. He is perfectly good, perfectly just. For one who is perfectly good and perfectly just, would it make any sense for that particular person to have any love for evil at all? For evil thoughts and deeds, or even evil people? No. They would cease to be good, right, and perfect at that point. Other Proverbs say wicked people are are an abomination to God. He hates their ways, their thoughts, their deeds, even their worship. To be an abomination to the Lord means that one is disgusting to him. They are filth. He wants nothing to do with them. This is why not only are there earthly consequences for the wicked like we've seen in their sudden calamity, other places say they will starve, they will lose their land and wealth, even their physical life will be cut short. But even if that is not the case, any prosperity that they may have is always short term. Eventually it all comes to an end because there are always eternal consequences for the wickedness. Chapter 24, verses 19 and 20. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. This is saying don't get angry because wicked people may sometimes prosper while you may be suffering, and don't desire any gain that their wickedness has brought them. Why not? For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Their lamp. Any sort of light or prosperity they may have in this life will end, and beyond that, they have no eternal future prosperity. Their eternal future is only suffering. Hell. Another interesting topic in Christian theology. Is it real? Is it not? Again, what does the Bible say? It says, yes. It's very real. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands going to hell where the fire never goes out. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. They being those who do not know God and obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Lastly, Revelation 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, or the wicked, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's hell. It's real. It's awful. This is something that we have to deal with, something we can't ignore. Why is it important for us? Plenty of reasons, but I want us to think missionally here. 
Can you imagine what this would do to us if we really believed this truth? If we really believed that a wicked person wasn't just the Hitlers of the world, but that it was all human beings, and because of this, they were going to spend eternity in hell, and that the only thing that was going to keep them from spending eternity in hell was not them being our friend, not them coming to church with us, not them checking out a missional community, not anything that they can do or that we can do, but the only thing that can do that is the grace of God. You think we might be on our knees crying out to God for their salvation a little more than we are? I know I don't believe this most of the time, or at least it's not on my radar. I don't like that about myself. I hate that about myself. Much of the time, I'm a functional believer in cheap grace, thinking that because God saved me by his grace, I don't need to live for him any longer. I don't need to live for him after that. I can continue going on with my life, living however I want, like I'm the Lord. Continue to fill my life with the busyness and the meaningless things like watching sports or Netflix or apparently, because of this new screen time app, spend five to eight hours on my phone every single day. I try to create my own purpose in life instead of being about God's mission that I've been called to. I do this because I become blind to the seriousness of his mission. A few things I want us to see from this passage. Number one is I think when Solomon is describing to his sons what happens to the wicked in this life and the next, His desire is to warn his sons with the hopes that with that warning, his sons will choose the path of righteousness. Number two, I think what God wants us to see is really what happens to wicked people. We need to know about hell and believe what the Bible says about hell so that, yes, we can see that and also, by his grace, want to choose the path of righteousness. But in addition to that, that we would go and shout that from the rooftops so that not just us as wicked people would know this, but all wicked people would know this and turn from their wicked ways and turn to Christ. But lastly, I think what the Christians should see here is if we are not doing that, if we are not believing this truth and telling others about it, That's wicked. It shows our wickedness. It shows our lack of desire for God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. We may may not be shooting schools up. We may not be robbing banks or stealing identities. We may not even be flipping people the bird when they cut us off in traffic. But if we look at these people and think, ugh, I can't believe how terrible they are instead of at the very least praying that God's grace would fill their hearts, that's wicked. It's wicked because the only reason me, the only reason you are not doing these same things is the grace of God. So we should know that is what they need, the grace of God. If we look at the world and know that there are millions of people who are blind to this truth, there are people in our own families people in our own neighborhoods, people in our workplaces that don't know this truth and we don't pray for them and share what we know, 
then we are being wicked. We are choosing the path of foolishness and need to repent. God told us to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. He told us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded us. If that is not what we are doing, receive this and repent and believe the gospel and then go and share that gospel. Which brings us to our last point. Let's look at that gospel. Let's look at the hope for the wicked person. Let's see how the Christ of the Bible can actually save a wicked person. The future of a wicked person is hell. The current life of the wicked person is separation from God and his goodness and provision. So if we took the many verses in Proverbs that we looked at this morning to show these truths in isolation, there would be no hope for a wicked person which means there would be no hope for us or any of those that we are on mission to. But thankfully, the word of God isn't complete with a few verses from Proverbs about wickedness. To show this, let's look at the second passage that we read this morning. Chapter 14, verse 32. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. Now when we look at this verse, we see some parallels, don't we? We see that there's a wicked person and we see that there's a righteous person. We see that one is overthrown or thrown down and the other finds refuge. But then we see that the wicked is overthrown or thrown down by his evil doing. This makes sense. It says the same thing that other verses in Proverbs have taught us about the wicked. But what we would expect to see if the parallels continue is if the wicked is overthrown by his evil doing, then the righteous man that is spoken of here would find refuge by his just doing. But that's not what we see. All we see is that when he dies, or some translators believe it better translated, it's in his dying, he finds refuge. What is that refuge? A basic reading of this in the English translation may make us think that it's referring to heaven, which then might bring us back to an understanding that the righteous, because of their just doing or their great piety, results in heaven. But when we look at the original language here, this finds refuge phrase is really saying finds refuge in the Lord. So this is amazing. Taking account everything that we've said about wicked hearts of human beings, taking into account everything we've said about what happens to the wicked person, what this verse is saying, as we look at it in the context of the whole message of Proverbs, and especially in the context of the whole message of the Bible, is yes, wicked people earn hell by their evil doing, by their wickedness, but one does not avoid hell by not doing evil or by doing good, but by finding refuge in the Lord. To get a better understanding of this, I want us to go back to Romans 3. You know, the passage that reminds us of our wickedness so well. We'll start in verse 19. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. These would be wicked people. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Or, for by works of the law, no human being will be made righteous. In his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, are made right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. There's a lot there. And I hope one day we can preach through the book of Romans at some point in this church. But for now, let's take what we just read and try to bring everything together. Solomon in the book of Proverbs is striving to pass on wisdom to his sons. God in the book of Proverbs is wanting to pass on wisdom to his people. One of the primary ways Solomon tries to do this is by describing characters, certain types of fools, people who show us the way to avoid in this life. Our character this morning was the wicked person, the person who not only doesn't do good or righteous things, but also hates them because he hates God. That's how he came into this world, and that's the path that he stays on. When we look at the Bible as a whole, we see that the wicked person described in Proverbs isn't the minority, but it's where all human beings start, and it's the path that all human beings continue down unless they are declared righteous. If the wicked person, if you or me, are ever going to change, ever going to go down a different path, ever going to stop hating God, in hating his ways, so that we can be blessed by his love and provision now and not be overthrown and spend eternity in darkness away from him. It's not getting our act together so that we can stop our evil doing and start our just doing that will do that. No human being will be justified by works of the law. But if we want righteousness, we have to receive it from God. That's how we take refuge in the Lord. We can't become righteous on our own. We have to be declared righteous by the Lord. And the only way that that happens is by receiving it by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is because he's the only one that is good, right, Perfect. He's the only one that looks down at a wicked person and says, even though you are wicked and deserve death and deserve destruction and deserve my hatred, because of my love for this world and my love for my own joy, I will go to the cross and take on that hatred, take on that destruction, literally take on the wickedness that comes out of our hearts and I will shed blood for it. I will propitiate it, meaning I will take on God's wrath and satisfy that so that that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and are declared righteous don't have to. 
That's the hope for the wicked. That's the hope for all of us. It's a scandalous gospel. It's foolishness to the world. We sang about it this morning. Why should we gain from his rewards? That's what the world says. Why should anybody gain from one man dying? All we can say is we trust in the wisdom of God. We trust in his sovereign plan. I pray for some of you that you receive that for the first time this morning. For the rest of us, I pray that it's a reminder so that we would receive it fresh in our minds and in our hearts this morning. Let's pray. God, that is a crazy thing we just talked about, Lord. I don't even think we really, as much as we can read it and hear it preached, really understand the depth of the wickedness in this world, and I don't think we can understand that that same depth of wickedness is also in us as human beings. And there's no reason that you would give us grace. There's no reason that you would give us mercy. Our sins are great. Our sins are many. And I could have came up with some examples of showing that to people, Lord, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted them to just hear from your word this morning and show that. So, Father, would you now take what was said, take your word and apply it to heart so that we can actually believe that truth? And then can we actually believe the truth of what happens to a wicked person, of what their life is like now and what for sure their future is like? And let that change us, Lord. Let that be real to us. Let it be a warning for us so that we can hear that, see how wicked we actually are, see the danger that's coming in the future if we haven't turned from our sins and turned to Christ and then let us worship for that grace that you've given, for that mercy that is greater than all the sins that we commit, Lord. Again, take these truths now, apply it to our hearts, change us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.